ever told about CCD kids is why is this thing moved? Why are our crayons all gone? Oh, it must have been the CCD kids. We were always told when something was messed up in our room on Monday that the CCD kids have been up to no good. We're heathens. <laughs> I'm Anne McNamee Keels. And I'm Stephanie Shavera. And this is Lapsed, a podcast about growing up Catholic. And today we are talking about communion. We are. I like communion because I feel like it's similar to confession in that it, it's like a rite of passage as a Catholic yes. child, but it's a little more upbeat than confession. <laughs> There's wine involved. Who doesn't like a little wine? <laughs> as a seven-year-old. <laughs> scandalous hopefully you don't fill it on your your white dress oh the danger Mm -hmm. I can't be trusted with anything white oh same I do not wear I mean I don't have I'm a redhead I don't quite have the coloring to wear white except (laughs) like on my wedding day when I decided to go for it but uh no 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 I look at people who are wearing white jeans and my whole thought process is like you fox you mature amazing human who like I could I could never I could never do that I could never I ever no and I will raise you one and sometimes I see women out in the world wearing white pants or a dress with with young children and I'm like hold up I can't go through my day with my kids without like some kind of yogurt or something on the front of my shirt probably absolutely not probably now I if you don't look too close I probably have something going on you know Steph you know what I think we're engaging in right now a bit tell me I think we're engaging in some fellowship what's fellowship Anne so this is a churchy word Catholics use it some I feel like Protestants actually use the word fellowship a little more do you feel like fellowship was used at the churches you went to that term not really yeah you mentioned fellowship once and it took me a second to even think of what it was I think Catholics a little bit do, meaning it just means like hanging out outside of the church service and getting to know people. It usually involves donuts, doesn't it? I mean, on a good day. Yes. Right. I saw something once. There was a show I was, I binge watched at some point. I think it's on YouTube about, I think it's called The Sisterhood Becoming Nuns or something like that about young women who were discerning whether to become nuns. I think it was questionable whether they were actually all discerning in their lives or to what degree they just hopped on a reality show thinking maybe that was their calling. I don't know. You said sisterhood and I was like, so now I'm thinking the sisterhood of the travely nun habits or something. I love it. I write that. We need to make a list. I feel like you're coming up with excellent like sitcom ideas, movies. We need to just, you need to write some screenplays. Write it all. Anyway, on that show, I heard something I had not never before that it seemed like is a thing maybe Catholic college students say, hmm. which is that fellowship is Catholic for drinking. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I, it's not what we're doing right now. Uh, this is probably going to come up a million times, and I actually cannot believe we haven't discussed it yet. Did you watch Fleabag? I did. Yes, that second season when she's in love with a priest. Which made me feel so many feelings. A lot of feelings. He is constantly breaking out these gin and tonic cans, which first of all, I didn't even know that you could get gin and tonic in a can. And I think that's brilliant. 
But it's what they every time they like they sat down to talk, he had to break out alcohol in order to make it okay. I guess. First of all, I feel like that's a British slash Irish thing. I've, I'd, well, yeah. Anytime I've spent in the UK or Ireland, I just feel like everyone's drinking constantly and they're not asleep somehow. I was like, if I was drinking that degree, I would be napping. They're not. They're fine. So grouchy. Yeah. I don't know. Mm-mm. I once was on jury duty. Not jury duty. I was I was like called for jury duty. I didn't end up on the jury. Mm-hmm. But there was a priest who who actually happened to be from the parish my mom had grown up in, but I didn't know him. He was young. He was new. So it was a drunk driving case. And they asked one of the questions they asked every potential juror was, do you drink? And when they got to him, he was like wearing his Roman collar and everything like huh. clearly a priest. And they said, do you drink? And he said daily. And all these people were like, <gasps> <laughs> and he sort of purposely said it, I think, to like get a rise out of people. And then the judge took a beat and was like oh you mean at mass and he was like yeah yeah communion wine every day sure that's (laughs) what i meant uh yeah anyway apparently that's the joke catholics yeah have no problem with with drinking unlike some other uh uh christian baptists i think so i don't know lots of them lots of them yeah no drinking, no dancing. It's footloose out there. You know, I think I mentioned to a friend once, like in grad school, about how my grandma loved gambling with a, a glass of Southern Comfort next to her. And she was mm-hmm. like, I thought your grandma was like super religious. I was like, yeah, there's no problem. She goes with That's her other not... Catholic lady friends. That's not the issue. No. <laughs> but my my brother is not Catholic. He's probably the first person in our family to not be Catholic. And he went to a sort of, I, I call it generic Christian because it's not a single denomination. He's just sure. Christian. Sure. And I feel like they're doing fellowship things all the time. Yeah. All the time. There's so many activities outside of church that are church adjacent or mm-hmm. community adjacent. I feel like, again, with the Catholicism, it was like, go in, go to mass and leave. And I know yeah. there were probably Bible studies and some people must have engaged in that, but I don't think so. No, I don't think there were. Were there? I was actually going to bring that up today, the concept of Bible study, because I feel like I didn't even know what that was. It, well, no, I don't know Catholics that know the Bible. <laughs> no, we don't. We know snippets. Like things sound familiar to me, but mm-hmm. I just realized how much context I was missing. And it's hard right. for me sometimes to figure out, was that just because I was a kid and I didn't care? Mm-hmm. Or was that because it wasn't really presented with much context? And I think the answer is kind of both. Both. Mm-hmm. Just accept the word of God. The word of God. Yeah. One of the things I came across in the research today when there were like discussions about communion and what transubstantiation, which mm-hmm. we will get into. Oh. Cannot wait. Another thing was it came up in one of those councils, the Council of Trent, or maybe it was a different one. Mm -hmm. This split where Protestants said the scriptures, the Bible is the main word of God. Mm -hmm. And Catholics were like, it's the Bible and it's also the church, the rules that people in charge make. Outside of the book. Yes. And they're almost sort of like, it feels like the intermediary, like they're going to tell us what things mean. That's what the job of the Pope mm-hmm. and the priest, right? Is to mm-hmm. let us know. You know, it's funny. I, um, I was, I've been thinking a, a lot about our podcast for a lot of reasons. Some feedback got me thinking about it, about like 
what, what are we talking about and why are we doing this? And it really is this lack of explanation, this like that everything was faith based. You just have to accept it. You're just supposed to accept it. Mm-hmm. That is why I'm really interested, like all this research we're doing, even though I left the church, why are we researching it now? And it's because I, I there's so many unanswered questions or parts of my story story and parts of, that I don't understand or I'm not sure that I understood it correctly. Like I want to put the some of the puzzle pieces together. Mm-hmm. And to that vein, I was listening to our podcast, the last one about the popes, and I was cringing at the sound of my voice. And I hadn't really done that with the first two. I was like, what is wrong? I was like, it sounds, I sound unlike me. So I was listening to it further and I realized I have, to me, it's I sounded a little panicked and I use the mm. word I think like a little bit more and I realize especially now that more people I know know that I'm doing this I'm becoming conscious that we're doing this podcast and I'm becoming conscious of the fact that I still I still feel and I don't even know the words I feel a lot of feelings about guilt or that we're speaking about the church or like I'm still going to get in trouble or someone's Mm going to be disappointed in me and maybe I should just keep my mouth shut and go back to not talking on a public forum about these I even and then the other side of me is like no the church broke my heart it broke the hearts of so many people I love it's done so much damage like I want to talk about it but I've I think I was recognizing in my voice that I didn't realize how much I'm still in the middle of that feeling. I thought I was much further past it. And it was very shocking to me. I think that's real. I mean, you and I have talked a lot about this podcast. We sort of know what it is, but I think also we're recognizing what it is not. Mm -hmm. It's not a Catholic podcast by Catholics, right? by practicing Catholics. Those exist you know, for and by practicing Catholics. And that's not what this is. But it's also not, we're not here to bash Catholicism or to bash religion. Mm -hmm. And I think that exists too. I think there is like an anti-theism that can exist or just an anger with religion. I think, like, I think for valid reasons, so, so much of the time. Mm -hmm. But I, I mean, really, you and I, I feel like everything that you've talked about, and I think the stuff I've talked about, we are learning ourselves, right? So a lot mm-hmm. of it is us like reporting what we're learning about the church that maybe we didn't understand as kids. Mm-hmm. But it's also just about our own processing of it, right? Mm-hmm. It's our story as lapsed Catholics rather than like the story of all lapsed Catholics. It's our own personal journey. I hate to use the word journey. It feels very cliche at this point, but it kind of is. The struggle with... The Catholic Church has made up so much of my psyche and angst, and I'm just like, I don't want it to be true, but it's just true. Yeah, like we said, you know, the thing I the thing I said at the beginning of like, what was I said, drinking holy water? There is this <laughs> stuff that is so ingrained in us as children with religion and with lots of other things, right? Mm-hmm. Just in our culture, in our American culture, everywhere else, that it feels weird to pull it apart and look at it. Because it's just so ingrained and it's like our neuropathways, whatever. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know things about the brain, but you know, it's it's how our it's how our thinking kind of developed. It's got shaped. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's a lot of things. All right. Well, I think we cannot forget 
Catholicism in the news this week because I feel like there have been some exciting developments. Oh, my. Yes. Do you want to talk about the Britney thing or should I? (laughs) Okay. So this is the funniest thing. So, again, because I'm doing this, now my husband has, like, Catholic alert brain. He's constantly finding things to share with me. And he's on Twitter. I'm not on Twitter. And... He's like, you have to see this. You have to see this. Look at Brittany. I was like, why? Why? What is happening right now? And I saw the pictures of her posing, posing, posing in her living room, which I could not believe looked as much like my parents' house. Like the design is strange to me. Yes. Which knowing what we know about Brittany, possibly she has had no say over that. And like say in her design, weirdo dad designed it probably hired someone in 1997 and it's or whenever she became famous and around then it's been that way. And she's talking about her feelings and her sister. And we talked last time about, we talked about how her sister said something that triggered a Catholic response. And then she goes, I'm Catholic now. I went to mass. So we had the whole thing last week about the with your spirit with her and Jamie Lynn and their interview. So we were kind of joking about Catholicism and Britney and seeing Jesus and Britney. And then she comes out and is like, I'm Catholic now on her Instagram. I wanted to be like, is that all it takes? You don't doesn't she have to get baptized? Maybe she got baptized. <laughs> Might have. I mean, I guess, but uh, yeah, you'd think you'd have to go to like, well, I was wondering, is her boyfriend Catholic, I wonder? I don't know. Because I wonder if I'm, that, you know, people do that. People join a church because that is a denomination or a religion because that's what their partner does. I had so many follow-up questions. Like why you, Britney Spears, are attracted to the Catholic church right now at this moment in your life, considering you don't want a paternalistic overseer. No, she does want to be done with birth control, though. And uh, while the Catholic Church, I mean, what she wants is to be in charge of her own fertility, which the Catholic Church is not overall a proponent of, but she wants to be, I mean, it's horrifying. It's horrifying the idea that she has an IUD that she does not want, that she's not legally allowed to remove. And so the Catholic Church is against birth control. I mean, but in that narrow way that lines up in the overarching thing of women should be in charge of deciding whether or not to be on birth control is maybe less. less. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's all birth control related. The Sun, which is a UK publication, I think it's kind of inquiry. I think it's kind of a rag said, Britney Spears has revealed she's Catholic 23 years after the singer dressed as a schoolgirl in the video for her first hit baby one more time, which we referenced. I feel like we brought this into being. It comes full circle. How did we do that? I feel like we knew before it was. This is all you. Listen, I told you. You're a witch. (laughs) Uh, and she she was wearing a dress which she declared was her sexy mass dress so i guess sexy mass dress it's a lovely blue dress but it's it's quite low cut which i am fine with i did it have spaghetti straps no it has a full lovely flutter sleeve then grandma would let it happen there you go if your grandma says it's okay then she was pretty strict no jeans no shorts no spaghetti straps oh no jeans one time my cousin came to pick her he like showed up from out of town showed up at her house and was like i'm here to take you to church grandma and she was like not in those shorts you're not hadn't seen him in months (laughs) he's like hi i missed you too no mercy you know you gotta have standards i mean (laughs) catholic school actually one year at my catholic school in third grade i went to a school where the principal was a nun who did not just personally found it distasteful for us to wear our gym clothes in church like our gym uniforms 
because you wore a gym uniform on your gym day. Otherwise, you wore a normal uniform. But on gym day, you had to wear your gym uniform. So like on Tuesdays or whatever, I wore a gym uniform. And if there happened to be a all school mass because of like a holy day of obligation or something, when you're in your gym uniform, they made us, it was a whole thing. I bet the teachers hated it. It was a whole thing where they would put us in by gender or I'd like, so all the girls would go in and have to change into our uniform in our classroom. She would put up a piece of paper on the glass so that there was privacy on the glass on the door. And then we'd have to like get changed in the classroom. Weird. Yeah. And then we'd switch and have to, then the boys would have to get changed just for church. So you didn't have locker rooms. They turned the classroom into locker rooms for church. Yes. Because we couldn't wear t-shirts and sweatpants as children because that was distasteful. Not in front of God. And Jesus, Mary, all of them. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Brittany, do you have any other, other than Brittany being Catholic, we will, we're going to continue to update our listeners on that situation. But in the meantime, anything else? I have one other thing. Well, we talked about that article I sent you, right? New York Times op-ed. Have we talked about that yet? Oh, ugh. I couldn't read the whole thing because I got so irritated. What was that dude's name? I don't remember. But there was a New York Times op-ed and talking about how we need Catholicism in this moment because of compassion. It was take us out of our political partisan life and teach us a higher level of something. It, it was like if it were true, it would have been an awesome article. But so little of it was what actually happens with Catholicism, especially in America there, there was a church that my mother-in-law goes to during the 2016 election. He, in the homily, he told everyone at church, like, if you don't vote for Trump, you're going to hell. So the idea that the Catholic Church is not partisan is baloney. Baloney. It is baloney. I can say bullshit, but I <laughs> We're in church. We're not in church. You can do whatever you want. And the whole article, even, I mean, yes, everything he said about the church being neutral until I stopped reading was was baloney but I'll, he was just spouting I mean he's some conservative I don't I'll probably link it in the show notes maybe I won't maybe I'll link it in the show notes with a caveat yeah he you know he just talked about some progressive Catholics supporting Black Lives Matter, which he just can't believe since Black Lives Matter wants to destroy the idea of families which is <laughs> Black Lives Matter said at one point that they think we should think beyond the idea of a nuclear family and think in terms of larger family and community support, right? So thinking about taking care of each other's children, about grandparents taking care of each other's children, et cetera. And yeah. somehow the right and this man have twisted that into meaning Black Lives Matter hates families, which like you'd think they would be all about that idea. Matthew Walther, editor yes. of The Lamp. Yeah, he sounds horrible. Some, yeah, despite it's an odd thing for the New York Times to publish, and it was all trash. Well, after Tom Cotton, I lost it with them. Yeah, it's true. So there's that, and then I went over to my mother-in-law's, and she had a Catholic magazine out, and there was a picture of Spider-Man and the Pope hanging out. I had seen that like in a meme, and I wasn't clear on the context. I was dying. I was like, "Is this real? Did this happen?" There was a Spider-Man in Rome, and they <laughs> hung out. That's nice. It says superheroes meet in Rome. <laughs> so crazy what is that a new what is that do you remember the uh the picture of the obamas at halloween that one year and barack obama is like doubled over laughing because a baby was dressed as the pope and his little car was made to look like the pope mobile oh it is 
very cute. And the picture is hilarious because the president could not keep it together. Himself. Yeah, no, he just died laughing. It was a very good costume. I would like to see that. Yeah. I have one thing that I would say kind of puts the Catholic Church in a positive light. Do tell. One of these like, that's right. I was raised Catholic because look at this thing. <laughs> So it has to do with Fox News. I'm not going to send you the link to the Fox News piece because I don't want to give them the clicks, but I will send you the piece that America Magazine, which is a Jesuit publication, which is why perhaps we don't dislike some of this America Magazine mm -hmm. stuff that we're finding. I'm sending it to you in the chat. So basically what happened on Fox and Friends, Let me see. I think America Magazine does a nice Ooh. job of tearing this whole thing apart, which I appreciate. The triumvirate of talking heads on the Fox News Channel's Fox and Friends morning show spent a few minutes slandering a Catholic Charities USA office after two-thirds of the team were shocked to discover it had been assisting asylum seekers released into its care by border control. So, yeah, they found out that Catholic Charities helps immigrants regardless of their status. Everyone run around and scream because we didn't know that. Catholic that's all they've been all about the refugees for it's all they do i mean not all they do they help the poor they helped immigrants they help jesus was a refugee <laughs> i have an excellent book about the christmas story called refuge and it makes me cry Ooh. every christmas one. it's about oh. it's for kids and it's great because yeah because he was a refugee do you think it's remember that guy that the cops pushed over and they made his head bleed oh, yeah that old man wasn't he a catholic charities worker Oh, maybe. I feel like they've had it out for Catholic Charities since they're like, he staged it. <sighs> well, so Brian, I don't know the names of these Fox and Friends people because I don't watch the show, but I try I try to avoid even knowing about who they are. <laughs> but Brian Kilmeade, who I guess is one of the guys on there, if you're a Catholic and giving money to Catholic Charities in America, weren't you hoping it was going to help Americans, not other people from other countries to come to America illegally? Are you happy about that? Think about that for a second. Oh, my I just want to know what Bible these people read where there was an America and Jesus said you should only help them. The Bible that came out in 1776. <laughs> so, like, no, dude. And Also, even mm -hmm. if, okay, don't, I mean, we're giving our money to the church, which, again, the reason people are scared of Catholics is that it's based in Italy. And, like, it's in the, it's in Vatican City. We're, it's never been an American no, this is not an American show. Sorry, friends. It says, Mr. Kilmeade, this is later in the article, Mr. Kilmeade seemed genuinely surprised when a third Fox host, Steve Ducey, informed him that Catholic Charities wor has worked on behalf of immigrants, quote, for decades. And he says, I did not know that. They kept that from me, which is hilarious. Like, <laughs> they kept that from me. They had secret meetings where they were like, don't let anyone know. I don't know. They kept it from you. Or maybe you're a fake journalist who doesn't do your job and know a basic thing about catholic charities like they kept that from me oh my goodness and then uh <laughs> this is i really like this piece of the article they says they kept that from me here's the commentary it is surprising that this bit of history could be kept from a native new yorker of irish and italian extraction considering that both immigrant communities have caused to be grateful for the various intercessions of catholic charities over the years um like, and and Boom. did you just say yeah. the word immigrant? <laughs> so that immigrant, you are an immigrant. <laughs> I really, I really enjoy how the Jesuits are being pretty petty here in their American magazine writing. The America magazine. Uh, who is this? Who wrote this? Kevin Clark. Thanks, Kevin. I don't know that he's a Jesuit. He's not. Yeah, but he's a, he's a writer. And you know what? Good for you. Let's be petty because they're being... <sighs> 
absurd. Oh no, Catholic Charities doesn't want people to die. How awful of them. How dare they? They don't just want people who don't have an American passport to just, you know, starve. Horrible. (laughs) So I did, I had a moment where I was like, all right, I'm on. It's nice to have those moments where you think, I'm on the church's side here. Yeah, I can't wait to read the whole thing. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, that's all I've got for news. Do you have anything else? Nope. All right. Nope. That's all I got. (laughs) That's okay, because we've got plenty to talk about. Mm -hmm. We are here to talk about communion. Yes. So, Stephanie, do you remember your first communion? Vaguely. I mostly remember my presence. It's the important part. Yeah. I got a Precious Moments Bible. Oh, nice. Yes. It was really sweet. Really pretty pictures my grandma gave me. I got a rosary. I mean, the dress. It Mm -hmm. was... All about the dress and the veil and the shoes. And I, hopefully we will share the pictures because I do look perfectly angelic in these pictures. I look amazing. It's so, later in my life, we moved to Georgia, later in my life. When I was like a preteen, we moved to Georgia. And to try to fit in in Georgia, I asked my mother to let me take cotillion classes. Mm. And that's when I learned about like debutante coming out balls. And like, I mean, it's the presentation of a young woman for marriage, you know, at 16. Yeah. Obvious. I never knew what that was um, until I was like an adult. I didn't make it that far. I wanted to eat too bad. (laughs) Yeah. One of our lessons was learn how to make it look like you ate instead of really eating. What? That's a whole whole other podcast about that, but I couldn't do it. I kept eating and I kept getting in trouble. (laughs) I like bread. Same. But it's very similar. It was like this white dress, right? It's all this (laughs) – I only got married last year, but I feel like I was prepared for marriage multiple times as a child. Uh, It's so weird how much like getting married you're Mm -hmm. supposed to look like. It's Mm -hmm. so weird. And I remember there were some girls that had like the most elaborate dresses and mine was pretty basic. And I loved it. It was pretty. But then it got there and I was like, oh, no, that girl has like six petticoats and Mm. that one has gloves. And I just didn't have any of that. Did I understand what was happening? Not at all. (laughs) I remember just being nervous about the rules. Like we went up there. I think they put it in our hands because I very much remember going to communion as a we were visiting someone. It was somewhere that wasn't my normal church. And he was only putting the communion in your mouth. And I freaked oh. out. I was so – my stomach starts. It was like, that grosses me out so bad. I do not want someone's hand no. like putting a Same. wafer in my mouth. But it was the rules. Like, you can't eat an hour before. And, like, I remember the big thing was you can't chew it. Yes. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, it was like kind of let it – melt on your tongue or it but it doesn't it sticks to the roof of your mouth like a very sticky weird so you're just like it's a horrible noises to make on a podcast but it's like there's no way to get it out of your mouth and like yeah, so it'll like, stick to the roof of your mouth oh, I, I got stuck in there and I was like I can't chew it or I'm going to hell again for like the 90th <laughs> time today probably and just the panic of getting the steps wrong we drilled the steps go up say this do this move to the side don't chew it and I, I was terrified I was going to get something wrong because it seemed like if you did it wrong, you were not a good person. It's so high stake. Yeah. You have to follow a very specific set of rules. But like what is in a 
I don't think I know a single adult who like is paying attention to what they're doing when they go get communion. I don't know. Maybe they are. But like the way they drill it to you, it, it makes you feel I was terrified. Yeah. I similarly, well, I remember being excited about it. I remember. Really? Yes. Well, the thing is, so I went to Catholic school. So that was, this was mm. like a thing, like you started, it was second grade that I got communion. Although when I, I switched schools in third grade and they were doing communion in third grade. So that meant I had to learn second grade for me to everything all over again. But I already knew. All the- oh, you're all jaded about it. Like, <sighs> I I was like, I've done this. Well, and when we would go to mass as a class, I was the only person allowed to go to communion, but I actually didn't like that. I I hated Mm -hmm. standing out. And so it was weird. But I did all the communion stuff again. But in second grade, it was like a big deal. Like you start second grade, it was like, oh, this is first communion year. Everyone's like excited about it. And all the parents are talking about it. You're told this is very exciting and a big deal. Mm -hmm. It's sort of like a, like a rite of passage. Well, that's what it, yeah, it's what it is. So I remember going to get the dress. We went to some little shop, my mom and my grandma and I, and it was like some little shop, like a family owned place that where like my mom and my grandma knew the owners. My mom had probably gotten her dress there as a kid. We knew these people. I remember the woman who worked there helped me get into the dress and step out kind of like a like a bride would. Mm-hmm. My mom wasn't the one helping me into the dress. It was this lady who worked there. I remember I really liked one of the dresses. And then my mom and we were almost got it and my mom realized how tight it was on me the woman had had a hard time getting the zipper up so she made me get a different one that I didn't like as much this is not a catholic thing so much as just like a growing up a little girl in america thing but i remember in my head i didn't say this out loud cuz i like thought i would get in trouble or something but in my head i thought the dress we bought made me look fat in second grade yes and i was not, it doesn't whatever even if i was but like i was a normal to skinny child i was not a large child at all Um, just one zipper and you have a whole different it was just the cut of it somehow Uh, I don't I just looked whatever I look it was very high collar and mm -hmm. it was very kind of old-fashioned looking with little puffy sleeves and I have it I have it in the house you still have yours I have it because my mom kept it and then I thought about getting it made into a baptism gown for my second son Mm. because I've heard of that being done and then we didn't end up doing it we just bought one we had many family heirloom gowns and um he was too large of a baby (laughs) didn't fit into any of them so we had to get him his own anyway so I remember that I remember thinking I looked fat in my dress horrifying to think about now I was seven and I remember practicing and the CCD kids came to practice with us because the CCD kids did you do this did you do your first communion with kids at a catholic school or was it just the CCD kids do you know I have no recollection I mean you go in at CCD there's so many I mean you only know the few kids in your class there's other classes okay there could have been another Catholic school I was unaware (laughs) like just throw me in this is all awful well we only got our lessons yeah on CCD time right where I was getting this like every day Mm. (gasps) go ahead so I just remembered my like the Eucharist workbook I had to take home sorry I just (laughs) the memory just flashed into my head filling out my Eucharist workbook Yes, I made to bring them back and I could never. Oh, I was so bad at bringing it back on Sundays. <laughs> just all about rule following. What was that in that workbook? Like, the image know. of it just flashed in my head. It, these are like deep seated, they're in there. <laughs> stuck with you somewhere <gasps> yeah so I had to walk down the aisle with a girl from CCD they just put us by height or I don't know anyway we was like two by two we rehearsed it so the CCD kids had to like I guess miss school to come practice I must have yeah so we walked down the aisle and I was obsessed with rule following 
And I did not like how she, she was not walking the way we were told to walk. We were told to like <sighs> stand upright. We were told to have our hands. I remember the hands had to be together in a lovely little prayer. Yes. Mm-hmm. She was like bopping her hands up and down and, you know, like being a child because she went to public school where they weren't. <laughs> where they you weren't hated like, it. <laughs> they weren't like telling us how to walk at every moment. So yeah, she was bopping up and down and just kind of being silly next to me. She probably didn't want to be there. She probably wanted to be back at school. Probably uncomfortable. I don't know. I was so irritated and I, think I told on her and I was not I would did not normally do that this felt so high stakes to me that I was like <laughs> <laughs> I went to my teacher I was like I just need to let you know that Anna girl her name was Anna I remember that because people were like Anna and Anna they're the same I was like we are not the same she's bizarro me <laughs> I was like she is not walking correctly down the aisle and I think someone needs to tell her the correct way to walk and my teacher was like okay thanks for telling me you hated the ccd kids I all we were ever told about ccd kids is why is this thing moved why are our crayons all gone oh it must have been the ccd kids we were always told when something was messed up in our room on monday that the ccd kids have been up to no good we're heathens And I remember getting to the church on the day of my first communion and bursting into tears, which I had done it previously, like at confession. Because and of anxiety? I, yes. I think I was just, it was so overwhelming. There was all this stuff, yeah, yeah about like what you're supposed to do. And you, ha- like you said, you have to do it right. And I remember my friend who's still my friend to this day being like, what's your deal? It's like a happy day. You're going to get to eat cake after this. She kind of didn't, she was like, this is fun. I was like, I don't know. You're it was taking fine. it very seriously. You're absorbing this crazy message you were being given. Yeah, that I had to do it the right way and not chew, but do, I don't walk correctly. I remember I had two parties that we we had a big, we had a communion party in my grandma's basement with her very Chicago basement bar down there. And, yes. you know. and then one of my very many 26 or whatever cousins on my dad's side was my age because statistically that's what happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a bunch of us were the same age. So we had another party at their very nice house in the suburbs because we both so I had to like put the dress back on. Oh, it's like when you do an extra reception for your wedding or something, bring the dress back out, dress mm-hmm. up. So we did it like on her communion day and I just like looked like I had done my first communion that day because played the part. Yeah. Did you understand why you weren't supposed to chew it? I mean, they just tell they tell you like this is Jesus now. This is Jesus. And it transformed. I don't know. I don't I hope we're talking about that because that's a whole I mean, it still hurts my head to think about. I just I think I thought it was too holy to mm-hmm. be like ripped or something. Like my teeth would damage the holiness of the bread and of course I did not understand how like I guess stomachs worked at the time <laughs> obviously the it was no. going to get digested I don't know Jesus, I just yeah. knew it was too holy it was, it was like too holy for my mouth I remember so in third grade when we when I had to go through all the stuff again even though I'd already done my first communion the nun who taught the other third grade class came and had us all practice and she brought unconsecrated wafers which felt very crazy. So she was like, I have these wafers. They are communion wafers. They are not consecrated. So they are not yet the body of Christ. So you can have them. And we were like, I mean, mind blown. Wait, I could have communion this whole time as long as it wasn't consecrated. This is not. So she brought, sorry, go ahead. No, just, I don't understand. I can't understand it. How is something food and then it's a person's body? Like I don't. We're going to get into that. Yeah. It drives me crazy. The thing that I think freaked us all out was, yeah, all of a sudden we were like, actually, it was unannounced. Hey, I'm going to have you all practice eating this. 
I don't want you to chew very loud. You're going to practice not chewing it. But that, like you said, that's impossible. And I remember one little boy in the class started choking because I think it was <gasps> so much like, first of all, you have to chew it. And so he was probably like not chewing it and it probably got stuck in his throat and he Driest got the thing in the world. And I remember her being like, come here, come here. And like pulling him out into the hallway. I felt bad at the time. I still feel bad. Now he's like a grown man. I'm sure he's fine, but. I was concerned. I, he was so anxious. You got to practice. Yeah. Do not think I did that. Well, that was in third grade. So I was the one old timer who had had communion. So I was like, you all, let me tell you what it's like. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right. So transubstantiation is the deal where it turns into Jesus during mass when the priest says the words. I did a little research about communion. It was very interesting. And then, so I've got some information you might find interesting. And I also have some vocabulary. I'm curious if you know. So maybe I'll ask you if you know what things yes, mean please. as we go through. Yeah. Just reading about communion. As we know, so I think most people who are at all familiar with communion in any kind of Christian tradition know that the night before he was crucified, Jesus had a, um, a Passover Seder with his disciples. And that this is a reenactment of that, right? Where he took the bread and he said this is my body and he took the wine and he said this is my blood mm -hmm. so that is what we're reenacting it seems like according to the bible actually according to the letters of paul which is do you i feel like in mass i heard a million times a reading from the letter of paul to the corinthians right Always I probably, the corinthians he wrote to them all the time or the ephesians i feel like i was there were a couple times where i had to do those readings and i was like oh no how do you say corinthians but other than that do you understand the context in which those letters were being written only because of the pope research did I really figure out where even Corinth was. Before that, Corinth, I thought was in the same vicinity of like Jerusalem. And then I'm like, no, it's Greece. It's Greece. Okay. Right. Right. But that was in 2021. <laughs> So these are, this whole deal, so I feel like, again, I go to a non-Catholic church now. I go to a Methodist church. So I feel like I'm kind of understanding Christianity differently because I'm just hearing things differently. You know, you're like, oh, hang on. What does that actually mean? And then I will look it up or I'll listen to someone talk about something because it's something I heard a million times and I'm, I realized I didn't understand the context. So all those letters, what has turned into like this book in the Bible is essentially Jesus rose from the dead, as far as we know, and then was gone. And now there were these Christians, you know, the apostles went off and like told people about Jesus. And there were these groups of Christians and they lived far. These groups were far away. Mm -hmm. And so Paul, the apostle Paul was writing them letters about how to do stuff. He's it wasn't just like random Corinthians. No, it was like, hey, these Christians, it's like 50 years after Jesus is gone. And he's like, hey, these random Christians who never met Jesus, I knew Jesus and I knew his stuff and I'm going to write you a letter and I've heard. So he'll, he would get a letter from like the Corinthians being like, here's what's happening. And then he'd be like, hey, hey, dear Corinthians, I heard this is what's going on. You need to knock it off. And then we like made that into a book in the, the Bible. Bible. The Bible. Okay, yeah. so it's just literal. It's like if I wrote you emails and then we put them all in a book and we said, this is important now. How do you address a letter to a city of the, like, dear everyone in Corinth, who read it? The Christians there. So somebody read it who was part of the Christian. And this, I know like, a lot hear of- Hear ye, hear ye. This is a letter from Paul. It was basically like Christian, Jesus loving like communes of people, basically, is okay. what was happening then. So there were groups- all over of there were kind of communes of people who liked Jesus and followed mm -hmm. him, had heard about this Jesus guy. 
And he and they were doing it wrong. And so Paul's writing to them and like, hey, get it together. Paul was he's really bossy and he irritates me a lot, to be honest. As an adult learning more about Paul, he mostly irritates me. But sometimes he's like very cranky in a way that I find amusing. So fair enough. What apparently was happening, I read originally, this is from um quote is as just from the Britannica. It said originally the rite was a repetition, this is talking about communion, of the common meal of the local group of disciples, so like the Corinthians or whoever, those that local group, with the addition of the bread and the cup signifying the presence of Jesus. So it was just like normal dinner that they would be having. And then uh-huh. they would be like, we're also going to do this thing that Jesus did. We're going to do that too. Which is much more like a savor. Yes. St. Paul's earliest record of the ordinance in his first letter to the Corinthians, written in about 55 CE, suggests that some abuses had arisen in conjunction with the common meal with which it was combined. It had become an occasion of drunkenness and gluttony. That's great, as long as you don't toast to the devil. They were partying with their communion meal. They were just mixing it in with their dinner. They were partying. They were getting super drunk. And it says, to rectify this, St. Paul recalled and reestablished the original institution and its purpose and interpretation as a sacrificial sacrament rite. So he made it into like a sacrament because people were being just chill about it. So I had to look this up. I was like, what does it actually say? So I looked up the Bible verse. All right. This is the new international version. Catholics usually use the new American Bible in the US, which um, why do we have something called the new American Bible? And why did I never think about that when I carried it around sophomore year of high school? Don't know. You're intense. All right. I mean, did you, I looked up, did you know what version of the Bible Catholics use? I, the one I know is King James. So I always assume yeah, we're all doing King James. But it's not. In the US, Catholics use one called the New American Bible, mostly. Now this is baloney. You can't just go around picking Bibles. This right. is crazy. And why are you calling it American? It's all, it's like those Fox News. Uh, So this is the actual words of Paul. This is from the New International Version, though. So he's talking about, he's addressing the Jesus followers in Corinth. He's saying, this is 1 Corinthians 11, 17 to 34. This is our first, see, this is my first, like, Bible study, because we didn't do Bible study. I don't know these things. He says, in the following directives, I have no praise for you. For your meetings, do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. Which makes me like so much shade. I believe it. (laughs) This is so funny to me. Um, Okay. No doubt there have been differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you're eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Then, then, don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or you do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. Whoa. It's so much sass. Wow. He really is a grumpy He's old so man. He's so grumpy. I'm only picturing Walter <laughs> Matthau now when I think of people. I love it. Yeah, that's who it is. So he, he basically... This is when he tells them, like, this is a sacrament. It's interesting because then he says, um, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. So, like, I wonder if that's where Catholics, I don't know, somebody who studied Catholic theology would know. Like, is this where the Catholic theology of you have to go to confession before communion comes in? You should be clean. Because it doesn't seem like that's what he's saying. He's saying, like, stopping jerks to each other, like, during the meal and stop getting so drunk and, like, treat this with some respect. Which is already kind of grumpy, but he's not saying, like, you need to repent of all your sins in your whole life, you know? Yeah, and Mm -hmm. then it ends, (laughs) it ends with him saying, and when I come, I will give you further direction, which I just found, it's, I skipped some part, but it ends with being like, I'm going to come there, and then I'll tell you what to do, but in the meantime, just stop being such jerks. 
So by the time I get there, like, do your laundry, clean up your room, and be ready for my arrival. You were warned. I just found that very funny. Wow. It's like how many years after? Jeez, it's people it was 55. just going, you know what? I'm making a yeah. rule. And it now. also was just in reaction to something, right? It's just St. Paul mm-hmm. who was grumpy because he felt like these Christians who had never met Jesus were not being holy enough about it. And so it's just like his own personal feelings about this is how things are done, should be done. And now it shall be that forever. Forever. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. And we put it in a book and it, you know, and just like, yeah, it's like as if I took. A- it's a like law yeah. now in terms of like the church. It's a it's like if I if I was emailing some teachers about how to run their classroom and then it's like, okay, this is how everything shall be done forever. For the next two thousand years. Yeah. With no which like this was all a very specific context and it was just one grumpy Saint Paul who was just irritated. How? Okay, well now I know. That's why I had to wear a veil. That's why you had to look like a bride. Yeah, I don't I actually I did not come across like where the the bride stuff? The bride stuff came in. I did not. I guess I should look into that. Sorry, marrying Jesus? I don't know. It's No, that's when you're a nun. That's oh. when you become a nun, you marry Jesus. But I don't know. I feel like the white is under, where you're supposed to be pure. Right. You get it. Like, that kind of makes sense. But why do you have the veil? Like, why, yeah, why are you a little bride? I don't know. I mean, totally. As a kid, I feel like it kind of feels cool. It feels like playing dress up. Well, yeah, you feel grown up. Yeah. But it's weird to have child brides. Like, can we... That's, we can all say that, right? Like, that's weird. <laughs> we can all agree with that. Yeah. Everyone. Okay. So the Eucharist then was like, after that sort of kerfuffle with St. Paul, things got a little more formal. Then it was sort of slowly set in a framework of Bible reading, psalms, hymns, and prayers. It started sort of around, it was like similar to a synagogue service, which makes sense because people were Jewish because Jesus was Jewish. Right. Then it sort of started being not just like a meal people were having together, but its own thing. And then they started building around it. Like here, we're going to sing these songs and hymns, etc. It was in the Middle Ages that the issues around transubstantiation came up at the Fourth Lateran Council of 1215, which we've heard before. I am so ready for this transubstantiation (laughs) conversation. So how do you understand transubstantiation? I understand it. Like, it's the workings of a friggin' madman. It makes me... So, one of my biggest fights when I went to Catholic school in high school, I remember they were talking about communion. All up until then, from 7 to 14 or 15, I had thought communion, we all got it. It was a story about Jesus, and we're using a metaphor to reenact something to remember. Like, it was all symbolism Blah, blah, blah. And then my theology teacher tries, well, I mean, finally, somebody, I guess, because CCD is probably a crock, according to me and Anna, right? Over here, we're learning (laughs) half-baked Catholicism. But I did not until high school did I understand what they'd been trying to tell me, that it is actually, physically, in reality, the freaking flesh of Jesus. And- Mm -hmm. I was like, no, it's not. It's it's an allegory. And they're like, no, you, it is the actual like skin cells that you are chomping on. Well, you're not supposed to chomp, but swallowing. And I had a huge fight. I, I still, I think that was the moment where I realized, they, my teacher told me I had no faith and I was a bad Catholic. 
and God. because I didn't believe enough to for the for the communion sacrament to happen, like I failed because when I chewed the Eucharist, it was some crazy dry bread, not chewed, swallowed. I keep saying that. But when everybody else who was a good Catholic did it, they were actually eating Jesus's body. So, yeah. And I hate that. I hate the image. I hate the idea that – I mean, are people – do people – I'll ask you, Anne. Do you really or did you really, really believe that you were eating Jesus's actual body? I was taught and I think just kind of took until I got older where it slowly kind of was less – less real but i was taught that i was taught that it changed somehow and it became jesus somehow the magic through the through the priest's words right during mass Uh uh-huh mm-hmm yeah so yeah i was i was taught that that was that a real thing happened and then it was very sacred then and so you know you couldn't just like you wouldn't want to throw it on the floor then the priest had to be thoughtful about handling it afterwards right either eat all of it or put it in the tabernacle it becomes holy then so here's here's what happens so in the middle ages this is a long time ago we all have very different understandings of things uh <laughs> understatement of the century saint thomas aquinas maintained he says um the objects remain the same but what it is substantially becomes Christ. I mean, I even think within the Catholic Church now, if you talk to a priest, there are varying understandings of what that means, right? Whether that is like a physical change and it becomes somehow the physical body of the historical Jesus or whether it is somehow an allegory or whether it is something in between where like it's the body of Christ, right? Which is beyond like the physical, because we also use the body of Christ in church to talk about the people of Christ, right? And the church. Right. So there, I think there's a ton like written about it now in terms of what it actually means. Hmm. Basically, that was a big difference between Protestants and Catholics is Catholics have held on to this. I think the Eastern Orthodox Church in some way held on to it too. There is one, believe Lutherans kind of have it both ways where they're like, well, it is it is both what it was and it's also somehow Jesus. But like it's also still bread and wine or grape juice, whichever you, you they use. It's both at once. Uh-huh. So the part of me that loves the Catholic Church is this like, oh, and we just do magic every Sunday where we, you know, turn thing we, we use alchemy. Then and like, you know, patron saints, which we'll get into, and saints are like little demigods. It's mm-hmm. like the it's like the Mount Olympus up there. It's the pagan kind of stuff. Yeah. And that part I love about it, but it's also the part of me that I'm just like, I just feel like everyone needs a good like smack in the face. It's like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Are do you hear yourself right now? Well, it's interesting, right? Because it does feel like the people who and I've got a bunch more to dive into here, but the people who would probably be most most serious about this idea that it is actually the body of Christ, right? And it's being transformed and it is in some way Christ and it's holy. Right would probably be the same people who are horrified at like not having latin mask or well no i'm thinking about other religions right oh. like hindus worshiping cows for instance right hindus holding cows as sacred and being like well that's silly but <laughs> objectively th- neither of those things in fact the communion thing i think sounds way sillier right cuz at least they, they think a cow is a cow we don't right. think the bread is a body part <laughs> So I, I do think like if it were someone else's religion, especially of like a more oppressed group and they were like, well, we believe it is transformed into this mm-hmm. 
person. I think I would be respectful about it, but it's being an adult who grew up in the church and, and just kind of taking it for what it was and now thinking about it. It's like, no, that's super weird though. It's weirder than anyone's talking about. I think it was the one, this teacher in particular, it, it was the first time someone basically told me to my face, oh, you don't have faith. The whole concept of faith, mm-hmm. I think up to that point for me was some, a private thing. Mm-hmm. Like no one, there's no test. You did the thing you're supposed to do at church and all that stuff. But what you believed was kind of your own personal business. Yeah. And once this person told me, oh, if you don't believe this thing, you are, you're basically like you're failing at this, Ugh. this test. You don't have faith. And I went around forever. Like I wanted to ask everyone, like, do you believe, do you, like, I wanted to go through the whole communion line. I'm like, do you know what you're eating? Like, do you know what's going on right now? Well, there was this recent New York Times piece about, you know, there was this whole thing recently with the U.S. Basically, the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops were voting on whether to write an official letter about the importance of communion. And for a lot of them, but not all of them, it seems, it was the piece about, like, should we deny Biden communion for not outlawing abortion? Right. Because of the church's obsession with abortion over other things. Mm-hmm. But in this New York Times piece, it says, according to a Pew poll from 2019, only about 30 percent of U.S. Catholics believe the core church teaching that the bread and wine become the literal body and blood of Christ. How many? 30 percent. And 70 percent believe that they're symbols. Oh, I don't feel so bad now. <laughs> yeah. No, I think it's... Um, I mean, there are certainly very traditional Catholics who are horrified at the idea that one would not believe it. But I think in this age, you know, in the Middle Ages, it was probably easier to believe that. I think current modern people in America, Catholics, it's a harder thing to actually truly believe. Mm-hmm. We just know too much. Yeah. Right. You know, I'm thinking about like, I don't know. I think I didn't question it much. I, I'm not raising my kids Catholic, but I, like if I was sending my six-year-old to Catholic school, he's such a critical little thinker. And I think this is kind of just who he is. It's also like a sign of the times. He would be poking holes in it immediately. Like mm-hmm. that does not make any sense. Right. And then he would be told he just doesn't have enough faith. Well, yeah, hopefully not. But not, if, if you're sending him to Catholic <laughs> Yeah. I also wonder, like, I just feel like also to teachers teaching it, like, did you know, if 70% of Catholics don't believe it, like, I don't know how much our teachers, I mean, they told us the stuff written in the textbook, but like, Mm -hmm. I am, you know, I would be curious, like, how much did they actually believe that versus just, or just, I feel like there's also things you just kind of chalk up to like, well, it's a mystery. We don't understand the church. I'm just going to go through the motions. Mm -hmm. Uh, I found this piece that irritated me a lot by uh, this priest, (laughs) Father Michael Van Sloon in The Catholic Spirit. He was talking about teaching kids about communion. So he talks about talking to the kids about the word transubstantiation, trans meaning across or over, and substantia, which means substance. And so he talks to them about that. He says to go from one substance to another. And then he says, we asked who first explained this. And, you know, the answer is Jesus. When did he give his explanation? At the Last Supper. This part so irritated me and I needed somebody to yell at. The verb choice is intentional and crucial. Jesus said is. So I'm like, did, <laughs> did not have sex with that woman. <laughs> well, Jesus spoke Aramaic, first of all. Step Do one. you speak Aramaic? You know, like, so is. he does it. And maybe, listen, he 
is a priest. He went to seminary. He perhaps has studied the text. And when I Googled that, there is, as you can imagine, because different churches have different ideas, there mm-hmm. is a lot of biblical scholars who write about that, that use of the, I think it was written down in coined Greek. And so the the verb choice used there, but also it's, it's confusing. Different people have different understandings of what the language means. Also, like we don't have a video of it, so we don't know what he actually said. And I think that's cool. I think the part about like word interpretation is artistically interesting to me. Oh yeah, I love that stuff. But, you know, also we have so many other times in the Bible where Jesus or other things say, God is this. Like, Mm -hmm. have you heard of a metaphor? It's literally, that's the definition of a metaphor. A metaphor is. (laughs) It's not a simile, it's a metaphor. (laughs) He's just teaching us grammar, that's all. (laughs) That's really what it comes down to. He's like, Jesus said is. English grammar at that. This reminded me actually of a moment I remember from Catholic school. I think from first grade. Why do I remember this? Of learning about the, um, it's falling out of my head now. The thing where the, why can I not think of the word? The thing where the apostles had the flames over their heads. Oh, the tongue, the tongues of fire from Babel. Mm-hmm. Is that that? What's that called? There's a name for that. Pentecost. Yes. <laughs> I don't Pentecost. know. Pentecost. Thank you. Yeah. I remember learning about Pentecost in first grade, I think. You learned that the, the apostles could all of a sudden had tongues of fire over their heads. I wanted that so bad and they could speak in many tongues. They could speak all of a sudden speak in different languages. Mm-hmm. So we learned that that was literally true. Literally true. And then our teacher said, why would that be important for them to speak different languages if they're going to go off and tell people about Jesus? And one kid raised his hand and said, because not everyone spoke English. <laughs> and I remember the teachers, <laughs> I remember the teachers taking a beat and laughing and I remember none of us understood why they were laughing. English wasn't around yet. <laughs> it's so, now that I think about it, it, it makes total sense if you're six years old. That's such a good story. I love that. And that's what this feels like. He's saying, well, Jesus said is. So no wonder kids think Jesus spoke English. A priest just told him Jesus said is. Uh, <laughs> which none of this, again, there's just, there's so many reasons. It supposes that the Bible is is true all the time, which can't also be true because it contradicts itself like crazy. Constantly. So I just, I read this thing about how a priest talks to kids about it. And I was like, this just really makes me angry because again, like you said, it's sort of saying like, don't think too critically about this. Just Uh in the article, he says, the final question is when and under what conditions does transubstantiation take place? It happens within a valid Catholic mass with a properly ordained priest who is acting in persona Christi in the person of Christ. That's all he says. He doesn't say why that is. He's just like, this, I'm going to cite the Bible. This, I have no biblical citation, so I'm just going to tell you how it is. Mm. Ugh. Yeah. So, I don't know. I know that's how it was taught to me, that it was just true. It was just changed. It just is. Yeah. Okay. So, the origin of when it went from, like, Jesus had some bread at dinner, when it was not yet his flesh the first time, right? Right. At a Passover dinner before he was killed. And the idea is that he knew he was going to be killed. The very next time someone reenacted this, then was all of a sudden the transformation. Like, when do we know when it suddenly became transformational? So I don't know. Well, clearly, at first, they were just kind of doing it during their dinner and getting drunk. So it doesn't feel like necessarily they they were taking What if that is, like, the real, actual reenactment of the Last Summer? They're like... Bro, like we're—they probably were. I don't know if you all know that this person you've been following is about to die, and you're all having dinner together. And Judas is probably wasted. I mean, can you imagine? I would be nervous drinking. And then he's wasted, and you have to get him home. Like, sure, it was crazy. May that actually is the real reenactment, Paul. I don't make me come over there, Paul. So cranky, Paul. (laughs) 
Um, I have a little quiz for you. So, Ooh, I love a quiz. When do you think the age of First Communion, which is around seven, when do you think mm-hmm. that was decided on by the Catholic Church? Do you think it was 1322, 1866, 1910, or 1963? Okay, so when I talked about confession, mm-hmm. I said that that one pope started seven-year-olds doing it in 1910. So... I feel like they're linked, so I'm going to go with 1910. It was 1910, yes. Yay. So it's Pius, uh, yeah, Pius the 4th? 4th? Is that 4th? Sure. No. What is that? That is Roman numerals. Ugh. What do you uh, see? It's the IX. What's the IX? Nine. Ninth, right. I was like, is the X <laughs> the 5 or the 10? All right, right, right. It's the X. Okay, so un- apparently until the 13th century, the practice was for infants and children to get First Communion right after baptism. And so the priest would put some wine on their tongue. Oh. Yeah, baby. My great-grandmother and- gave us brandy when we were teething. Makes sense. <laughs> you know, I actually did think of that. I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, people used to do that. Put alcohol in a baby's mouth doesn't seem a big deal. God, I'm real quiet real fast. (laughs) I didn't resort to that ever with my children, but I can understand. I'm proud of you. (laughs) The practice of giving babies a little bit of wine died out in the 13th century. And then it was said that it was given to only those who had reached the age of discretion. But there were, as you can imagine, differences of opinion of when that meant. And so it was kind of like local customs would be different in different places. And so in 1866, Pope Pius IX condemned the practice of overly delaying it, First Communion, but he does not set a universal age. He's just like, you're waiting too long, guys. Don't wait too long. But he doesn't say when, what that means. And then in 1910, the Sacred Congregation of the Discipline of the Sacraments, which I guess is they tackled confession and communion, they decided it would be around seven. And that was St. Pius X who okayed that one. All right. I found, so apparently you're supposed to, this is again, super lapsed Catholic. Catholics are supposed to go to mass every Sunday, but if you can't, you're at least definitely supposed to get communion once a year during the Easter season, ideally. Oh, just once a year? I don't feel like I've done that. Yeah. Have you? Probably, um, maybe. I have not. When's the last time I went to church? We did virtual Christmas church together, mm-hmm. but there was no communion. Right. So it's been over a year. I'm in trouble. Our Methodist church has been giving out little, have you seen these on the internet? Little like communion, at home communion packs. Yes. The tiniest little cups it's pretty cute actually i have to say so at my protestant church like anyone can go to communion so i i remember i wasn't bringing my oldest kiddo up yet when he was a toddler and then one day i happened to bring him up or i think he was maybe just not eating food yet and then i brought him up one day and the the one minister was like do you want to can he have some and i was like sure and he had some and i was like that was kind of weird like that's not catholic it was a little part of me that was sad i was like oh yeah he won't get the party he won't get the first communion party like photo shoot i was a little sad i mean i didn't want him to go through all the stuff but having that thing to look forward to and the cute pictures right of passages are so hard to come by they are and so we got back to the pew and i was like that was his first communion my husband was like you're weird that's not a big deal (laughs) (laughs) it is to us so according to catholic.com, which has all kinds of interesting things, you are supposed to be in a state of grace for communion. So that means that you cannot have committed a mortal sin without having gone to confession. It says a mortal sin is any sin whose matter is grave and which has been committed willfully and with knowledge of its seriousness, including and not limited to murder, receiving or participating in an abortion, homosexual acts, having sexual intercourse outside of marriage uh, or in an invalid marriage or deliberately engaging deliberately engaging in impure thoughts. I'm guess- I think I'm in an invalid marriage. Yeah, same. Yeah. 
Well, no communion for me. Oops. So those are the things that you would have to have confessed. Oh, I, but that's right. I can confess it and then go right back up there because that's all I have to do. I guess, except you're still living in sin, theoretically. I confessed. So. You don't have to change your behaviors. You just have to confess. You, have to confess. you can keep murdering as long as you keep confessing them. I guess the catholic way yeah right and there is like a thing there's a catholic thing right where like i don't hasn't there been issues where the priests are supposed to keep things confidential but then like they'll know about crimes and it's like a ethical that's a whole thing. to do i yeah. mean obviously with child sex abuse happening within the church but outside of that just like people doing illegal things mm-hmm. I don't know. So you're not supposed to go to communion technically in those situations. You also, they give you like, (laughs) there's reasons why you could have not gone to confession, but still get communion. It's basically like, if you're about to die, like (laughs) that's the, everything's like, if you're about to die, you get a pass and you really want communion. The priest can decide like, okay, I guess you can have it, even though you have incredible. Everything's like life or death situation. Um, third, you must believe in the doctrine of transubstantiation. So, well, there you go. You're supposed to believe in it, and you must observe the Eucharistic fast. So, you must fast for one hour before communion. I don't feel like that was really driven home when I was a kid. Oh, it was for us. For you, my dad. I remember like we couldn't eat. I was always starving. Sometimes my mom slipped us food. Yeah, I feel like my mom probably was like, I don't want cranky children. And so she gave us breakfast before mass. But then I remember thinking that maybe I shouldn't because I like heard my friends wouldn't eat before mass. Then I then someone pointed out like, well, mass takes almost an hour by the time you get to communion. So like, do you really have to fast before communion? Or is it just like, as long as you didn't eat like 15 minutes before the start of mass, you're fine. Technicalities. Listen, that's how how it all works. I feel like my family's been, my grandma, my uncle, the fasting part was important. I mean, I can. Yeah. Maybe it's an Eastern European thing. No, I think I could see that. Like if you think you're eating something holy to just have had like a bunch of pancakes or something. You want to mixing in with Snickers or something. <laughs> and then you, you must not be under ecclesiastical censure, which means like excommunicated or uh, other things. And then they talk about non-Catholics receiving communion. And again, it's kind of like a life or death <laughs> They're like, they can't unless like you're in a war zone and someone like kind of wants to be Catholic, but they're Protestant, but like they can't become Catholic and you like really feel like you need to. They really come up with these elaborate like tense asterisks. In an emerge, I just the idea that there would be like an emergency communion situation where it's very important. Which I think speaks to like how important communion is to some people. So I found something that apparently in the 60s, there was like a nun and a priest perhaps who ran back into a burning building, a burning church to save the consecrated host. And they are like considered very holy for doing so. And they died. That sounds so insane to me. But you, I mean, if you, I guess they had better faith than I did. Had to go ch- save that Jesus's skin. Also, like, it's Jesus. Don't you think he could figure it out? Right. Like, what's going to happen to Jesus? He'll be fine. He's already fine. We know what happened. We know how that story ended. He's not going anywhere. Yeah. So there is this overall reverence for the consecrated host. Oh, I found out that the word host comes from... Oh, yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. The host comes from the Latin hostia, which means sacrificial victim. So we are eating, host sounds kind of lovely. We're eating the sacrificial victim, who's Jesus. And my note that I made for myself when I wrote this, I was like, wait, like a parasite and host? That must be what that where that word also comes from. Oh, of course it does. Duh. Okay. It's a Latin word. Yeah. So like we're the parasites. No. We're the parasite. Yeah. We're the parasite oh. feasting on the feasting on the host body. Okay. Ah. Uh. 
So there is this biblical theme, right, that comes up in the in the Gospels about Jesus being the Lamb of God and the idea mm-hmm. that like the sacrificial lamb, that that was a thing that was common in those right. biblical times. And so sort of Jesus as the sacrificial lamb. And so that is where that all comes from. Oh, I don't know. Do you know? Here's this is a more challenging vocabulary piece. Ew. Do you know what a monstrance is? It sounds like like how a bunch of crows is a murder. It sounds like a bunch of zombies. <laughs> it does. Oh no. And then we get into the like silly zombie Jesus jokes because Oh gosh. Okay, yeah. yes. Uh <laughs> it does sound like that. A murder of crows. <laughs> a monstrance of zombies. So the monstrance, I remember having to like label these things. I remember having to learn about like Catholic objects and like the vestments mm-hmm. the priest wore and the things in the church and label them on a little worksheet. And the monstrance was one of them. You might have seen this. It is a, I have to try to describe it. It is a, it's a thing about, it's probably about a foot or a foot and a half tall, depending on how big. It is like gold. It's a little stand. Mm-hmm. And then it's like it has like a starburst kind of thing. And there's a circle in the middle. And in the, the circle goes the consecrated host. Oh. So after a priest has consecrated communion, if there is leftover, or I guess maybe they do it purposely, I don't know. They can put it in that thing. And people can come to an adoration chapel and sit in front of what they believe is like actual Jesus because there's a consecrated host there. If I could start banging my head into a wall, I would right now. Do you, are you familiar with the Adoration Chapel? Yes, question mark. I think so. But like, I don't know. This whole like worshiping object. Now I'm, I'm going to become a Protestant. I think this is banana. <laughs> <laughs> so Adoration Chapels are places where there is usually the host in the monstrance. I looked up monstrance for this episode and they are very expensive. They're anywhere from a hundred to like over a thousand dollars because they're like real gold. That's where my collection money went. (laughs) Exactly. So people will go and pray in front of this monstrance. This is some of what was covered in this New York Times article I looked at about communion when they were talking about the Catholic Mm. bishops talking about this communion thing, which the Catholic bishops did decide to write this letter about the importance of communion. But then they kind of walked it back a little bit and put out another statement and said, this is not about Biden. We're kind of doing this because we feel like Catholics don't care enough about communion. I think for some bishops, that absolutely was about Biden. And for some, it was perhaps not Mm -hmm. because they like all almost unanimously voted to write like a letter. Anyway, yeah. So the monstrance. So we had an adoration chapel at one of the at least at one of the schools I went to, it was just a little room like on the side of the school, I think built there, or maybe on the side of the church, they were all connected. And we had to go there sometimes and just like kneel and pray in front of this host. And there would usually be like old people who probably were alone. And they were also praying. Was the only thing you could adore the Eucharist? I think that's all that was there. Yeah. I'm trying to remember. It was very small. It was like a, like a little, like a room. Two at a time only, please. Well, we could all fit in there, like our whole class, but you couldn't have fit like two classes. So there are some adoration chapels that are, I think I could be wrong about this. So maybe some lapsed or current Catholics can correct me. I think there's a, the tabernacle is where you keep a host. Another the tabernacle. Yes. And there's a light. I forgot about this. There's a red light that goes on if there's a consecrated host. So people, they're at church <laughs> during off hours, like for confession. If the red light is on, that means there's a consecrated host there, which means Jesus is extra present. And so you can be aware of that as you're praying. If the red light's on, Jesus is extra there. means he's super here, not just a little bit. And perpetual adoration chapels, which are some chapels 
our perpetual adoration, which is the host is not put away at the tabernacle. Someone has to be there all the time. You cannot leave Jesus unadored. So someone has to be there constantly. People sign up and some will be like in monasteries or something. Sometimes it'll be priests or nuns, but sometimes it will be like in a parish. It would be like usually old people who like sign up to make sure. It sounds so much like Greek mythology, the temple of Athena, make sure the thing is being guarded. The oracle is, it's so similar. It's crazy. Yes. And I thought of, I thought of my time living in Varanasi in this Hindu holy city, because there used to be a Hindu temple. There were like temples on every corner, but there was a Hindu temple I used to bike by and to get like between where I was living and the place I would go in town that I would go usually like hang out and drink chai or whatever. Mm -hmm. And um, it was a temple where there was always some kind of bhajans, the religious Hindu music playing and someone always had to be playing music. And so no matter what hour it was. Always. And I remember finding that kind of cool. There was always at least one voice of somebody singing Mm. this idea of constantly keeping watch. And so I can see the, I see in some ways, I think my theatrical self sees that there's something lovely about that. Okay. And also, what if you don't have anyone wants to do it? What if you have a poor old 80 year old woman who feels like, well, no one signed up for adoration. So I better do it because otherwise. Better be there. Otherwise, I'm not a good Catholic. (sighs) I am. I'm obviously not. (laughs) Obviously not. I just, I can't bring myself to get all the way there to like an adoration chapel. That is so foreign to me. I was thinking about, again, similar to what I did with confession. Like, is there something in this I understand? I think for people who believe that there is something of Jesus that is real in communion, Mm -hmm. The idea, I think this is why it sounded so absurd to me, but like this is why some Catholics had a really hard time, still have a hard time, like during COVID, not going to mass and receiving communion. Because for them, it is like, Mm -hmm. I think there's a element of spiritual substance. Yeah. The idea that it actually makes you spiritually stronger and able to live in the world because you have, it's like a spiritual sustenance that you get. I'm a little jealous Mm -hmm. of that. I never, ever, ever got communion. It was like, ah, yes, I can get through the next week. I have that going for, I don't, mm-hmm. I never, wow. Oh, it's, it's beautiful. It is. There's something very, very beautiful about it. And I'm, yeah, I, I guess I, the best word for it is just, I'm jealous. I never connected to, I never connected my spirituality to that in a, in a way, I guess. No, I I feel the same. I'm going to think about this for a while. (laughs) I feel like with anything that feels powerful to people, there are two sides to it, right? Because then this policing of who is deserving, even though you say during mass, I am not worthy to receive you, but only say the word and I shall be healed, which again is a thing taking out of context in the Bible. And that never felt, I remember reading in like a magazine article back when magazines were things. So I was probably like, in high school or college, somebody who had converted to Mm -hmm. Catholicism. It was just in like a women's magazine. It wasn't in a Catholic magazine. And she talked about those words Mm -hmm. feeling very healing to her because she felt unworthy. Whereas I feel the opposite. Like I'm being told I must say that I am unworthy. (laughs) Yeah. You know, you tell God that you're unworthy. You have to say it. You're seven years old. That was hard. That's the hard part for me too. But I can understand if you come in feeling unworthy saying that you can be healed of that could it's a it's like the confession thing again right mm-hmm. yeah yeah the idea of it's just my thing with organized religion i guess because i'm just like who are you who are you to say that exactly i don't know <laughs> like, what, what gives you the right 
to heal me. Well, and I think some people would say like everyone is unworthy, including priests, right. etc. But there is a hierarchy and there is power that is held by certain people in the church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do remember once having, we had a mass at my house as like a memorial for my dad, which is hilarious. And he was an atheist. Yes. He also said he didn't want a Catholic funeral. And I don't know how this happened, but we ended up with seven priests on the altar. Seven for his Catholic funeral. (laughs) Like the most Catholic. People just kept signing up that they wanted to do it too. Wow. Anyway, we had a mass at our house. We have this priest who's a friend of the family who did the mass, which was for like for my mom, I think mostly and for other family Uh members, which also felt crazy. Like, wait, we're going to have a mass in our house, like in our living room. Is it holy enough? It felt kind of like amazing. Like, oh, our house is going to transform into church. Right. But I remember my mom saying that the priest didn't have anyone to serve the wine there's you know people can train to become a eucharistic minister and he didn't have anyone Mm -hmm. he was asked anyone was a eucharistic minister there wasn't anyone and he's like well i need somebody else to do the wine while i do the communion and so he just grabbed my mom and was like you're gonna do the wine and she was like don't i have to take like a class and he like just quickly made a little side of the cross over her. <laughs> it's like, you're good. That's the magic again. He's like, da, 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 da. He's, it's, it's probably also, honestly, it's probably in there. This, uh, like all this stuff I was reading about, like in extraordinary circumstances, that's it. It's called, they're called extraordinary ministers. That's what they're called. You can do anything you want and just call it extraordinary. He makes it sound fancy. Cause you know what? When I was a kid at, St. Thomas More, we didn't have extraordinary ministers because now I realize the pastor was super conservative. We had all the other priests come out and give people communion because there were like five priests. So the priests would just come out. So no matter who was saying the mass, all the other priests would just all of a sudden come out from backstage. It's like when you find out toward the end of the play that there's been all these other actors backstage the whole time. Right? All of a sudden, all the other priests come out from backstage. You're like, where did he come from? Where were they? And they would give us communion because we didn't have we didn't have any female altar servers. And we did not have Eucharistic ministers, I don't think. Because uh, we had wow. super, super conservative priest guy in charge. Mm. I remember not getting wine until I was much older, though. I don't think I... We were out of town at a friend's church and they were like, you can have wine. I go, I cannot... <gasps> That is not yeah. something I am allowed to do. I don't think we had it at First Communion. I don't remember when that happened. And all of a sudden it was at every mass all the time. But I don't mm. remember. As a kid, I feel like it wasn't there. You know what? I don't think I've ever had the wine at Catholic mass. I think it freaks me out. It's an interesting taste. But well, you're also supposed to drink all from the same cup, right? Oh, yeah. Let's talk about that during a pandemic. (laughs) During a pandemic, yeah. It was already gross. At the church I went to before the pandemic started and haven't been since and only went sporadically, the the Protestant church, A, they don't use unleavened bread. They use use gluten-free bread, actually, that they make specially for it so that everyone- What? Super uber-inclusive. And then they don't use wine. They use grape juice, which to me feels way more respectful of alcoholics, frankly. Um i.e. Catholics. Mm-hmm, right. Yeah. To not have alcohol just up there and be like, want some? That feels problematic. So anyway, they use grape juice mm-hmm. and you dip it, you dip your bread in the grape juice. That to me feels more sanitary as, as long as I don't get like my fingers in it. And the bread, the pieces of bread are like oh. longish. They're like cut in a very specific way where they're like little dunkaroo pieces of bread. It's like pasta night. <laughs> It's like breadstick. Dunking it up, sopping it all up. But it's not It's not unleavened. It's a whole different thing. I actually don't mind a communion wafer. I think they don't. Have you ever had those candies that look like communion wafers? Like Necco wafers? No. They're an older candy. 
like our parents' generation, it was more of their kind of thing. We would call them flying saucers. No idea. It is basically made out of communion wafer, except it's like a bubble instead of just a flat thing. It's like a bubble. And then there's sprinkles inside, like cir- little sprinkles inside. And um, they're what? they're colorful. What? Yeah. You should... <laughs> Maybe I'll send, I'll try to see if they exist on the internet and send you some because they're actually is... quite yummy. And I remember us being like, ooh, it's like having communion with sprinkles. This is so cool. I think I remember playing communion. Oh, yeah. Like playing pretend and doing communion to mm-hmm. my brother and sister. Mm-hmm. I remember I... coming to my friend's house in middle school and <laughs> overhearing <laughs> they had a dog named Princess and her younger sister was saying, Princess, body of Christ, body of Christ, princess. It was trying to like... <laughs> trying to play church with a dog and give her something to be the communion <laughs> poor princess uh a long time ago i'm sure princess is no longer with us oh r.i.p princess i know <laughs> so um has anything we've talked about today changed your thoughts on communion i mean there's something I've, i recognize in myself that i'm like when we're talking about catholics I'm like that's bonkers and then you'll say something like it's kind of like this in another religion and I'm like oh I respect that mm-hmm. then I have to go back around and go okay I respect it in the Catholic Church too because I think it's still my rebellion talking <laughs> of like pushing the church away of like you're wrong you're crazy but also because of the the amount of people like that teacher I had telling me I was a I was bad and not faithful and how could how dare I not believe this is really someone's flesh? I'm like, because it's a piece of bread. That is horrible. Right? As opposed to having a conversation about metaphor or whatever. Right. But Well, and the good teacher would have, yeah, engaged in a conversation, brought it out to the class, right? What does everyone else think? No. No. I think in a way, I I feel a little bit more respect for those who believe in it. Like you're talking about the Adoration Chapel. I'm like, okay. If you if it means that much to you, that's so that's great. That is very cool. It is uh, it's also like the not letting other people come up, the the gates that it creates mm-hmm. to, to access. Mm-hmm. It's ways of distancing people so that if you learn you don't believe that it's really Jesus's flesh, then you're not good enough. If you're Lutheran, you're not good enough. If you're this, you're not good enough. And it's just, I feel like that's so much of the message that I hear. And like your friend, I'm sure other people are hearing something totally different, right? Like they're thinking, oh, wow, it's ways of inviting, which Mm -hmm. would mind, like mind blown if that's what you're thinking. So I guess I'm even more conflicted. (laughs) Who knows? Yeah. I feel similarly. You? No, I feel similarly. I mean, I hadn't made this connection somehow until today thinking about this. In Hinduism, there's something called prasad, which just means holy food, really. That's like a a very rough translation. It's consecrated food, essentially. It's Mm. food that's used in in religious ceremonies, and it's offered to the gods, but then the people who are there, whether they're Hindu or not, gets given to everyone to eat. And it's usually not always, but it's usually a dessert. Oh, that could be better. It's some kind of like, it can be any kind of food. That can be used and it's like usually sweet. Whenever I was at any kind of religious ceremony, it was offered to me. And I always, I found that such a like welcoming gesture, I remember. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't thought about that in connection to communion until like today. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I've been to a bunch of satyrs and I do like the storytelling Mm -hmm. aspect and like setting a a seat at the table, Mm -hmm. all of that stuff. 
the storytelling part I love. And I think if they just let me believe it was a metaphor, I would have believed a lot longer. Yeah. Right? It's like, it's a story we're telling and it's a way to remember. If that had been the overarching message I think I was left with, I think I would have been a lot happier in a lot of ways should have been a protestant i guess i know but now they could have held on to you yeah but no i feel this i like you said if someone gets strength from this idea that there is something that's great you know spiritually sustaining about the physical mm-hmm. post that they're eating that right. sounds very powerful and important to them i'm not scroll through instagram there are people with like crystals who believe that cr- putting a crystal in their chakra gives right them- and I'm like, good on you. Right. you that yeah. helps you good. I don't feel like I'm here to police what's real and what's not. And I don't know. And I Correct. also am like, I don't know if so many people across the whole world and over centuries actually did be- do believe that. Does that change something? Like, is there power in that alone? Right. In, in right. consuming something that so many people believe is important right. spiritually. And also if someone just said it was holy, that would be fine by me too. It's the, it's a person's body part that really sticks in my craw. <laughs> And when I was, I was looking like at the Bible verses that refer to it and it really, it's just as sort of creepy sounding. The language is really like, this is my flesh. It's very, uh, it's, it's as graphic as it kind of sounds. Hannibal Lecter. Like, <laughs> so upsetting. I remember, um, I'm going to get this wrong. Who was the sociopath? Who was the sociopath? Who was the, who was the sociopath? Who was the sociopath who, who like ate his victims? Was that, um. Dahmer? Mm-hmm. I think so. Right. Yes. Jeffrey Dahmer, yes, he was Jeffrey the Dahmer. one with bodies in fridges. Yeah, and ate his victims, right? Mm-hmm. So I have a specific memory of my freshman year acting class in college and my acting teacher saying something like, you know, talking about the challenge of finding the point of view of a person who you would find very unsavory. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, like if you have to go up on stage and play Jeffrey Dahmer, you have to, you have to find, <laughs> you have to. The good in that, the Jesus in that. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, you know, you're an actor. You'd have to find his motivation. Right. You you can't think your character is evil. You have to right. find like his motivation no and one... how, right. what he believes. And we had a one of my classmates who was raised Catholic said, it's like communion. I can see how that would be beautiful uh... in this warped person's warped view. And my acting teacher looked sort of like terrified for a second and was like, well, if I ever need to cast someone as Jeffrey Dahmer, I guess you're my actor. But you know what? <laughs> that was such a, yeah, because I think pointing out, okay, I can see how Jeffrey Dahmer would see that as beautiful. Also, I can see how this thing that Catholics think is normal is actually as horrifying as what Jeffrey Dahmer did. Not as, but you know, it, it's, it evokes that. Right. Well, the flesh. It's the flesh. The word flesh. The word flesh. Is bothersome. We're the word nerds. We should look into that. What was that word and what did it mean? Right. Ooh, project for next time. We need like a legit actual like biblical scholar who could tell us this mm-hmm. stuff. We'll do that one day. Great. All right. Well, uh, I think, well, we never, ever, ever will ever be able to finish an, an episode and say, well, we covered it. Well, but never. We're done for now. <laughs> We've explored and it'll come back. Communion's a big oh, one. Oh, I'm sure. We'll have plenty to talk about, about communion mm-hmm. in the future, I'm sure. Well, I mean, thank you all. And uh, I have to say, well, my husband um, and, and two other people told me about some Pope stuff I didn't get wrong, but didn't finish exploring uh, about Pope Francis. So I just want to say thank you because I did ask for people to let me know when I got some stuff wrong. So thank you for that. I won't go into all the caveats, but, you know, Francis was an Italian Argentinian was yes. one of the big ones. 
I didn't really cover that enough. So I'll say that here. I saw someone else mention that. Also, most of Argentina, like the U.S., was mostly deeply colonized by Europe. And so that's right. what's happening exactly. there. But I think that the point still stands, this idea of someone outside of the global north, you know, anyway. Right. So thank you. Please continue to get in touch with us about things that we either got wrong or you have more information about because it, we are constantly in a process of learning. Mm-hmm. That's what this is about. We we realize mm-hmm. the stuff we didn't learn and we're trying to learn it and there's always going to be more. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much for listening and find us on all of the social media places mm-hmm. at Lapsed Podcast. At Lapsed Podcast and email us lapsedpodcast at gmail.com. Some people have reached out to us because they have a book or they're a scholar on certain things. And we love that. We're starting to figure out how we can engage more. So if you are one of those people and have an interesting story to tell, please let us know. Reach out. Yeah. We love hearing from you. Absolutely. Where should we pass the collection basket to today? Oh my gosh. I didn't even come up with one. (laughs) I'm trying to think all the people in the news. Uh, the Catholic Charities, but we're going to try to go outside of the Catholic Church for this collection mm-hmm. basket. Remember, do you remember a second collection basket? There was one for oh, the church and one for something else. Like second collection, yes. Yeah, so our, we'll do the second collection basket. I'll leave something in the show notes for our collection basket. We talked about, well, let's do Planned Parenthood again because we talked about it. Yeah, two, two times of Planned Parenthood, mm-hmm. please. Can't have enough. Local Planned Parenthood. We'll drop that in the show notes. And if we mm-hmm. come up with something else, we'll add that. Oh, that's another one to ask listeners. If you have a charity that you think you would like for us to uh, do a shout yes, out to for, especially if you feel like it's something that is maybe uh, an issue that is left in the margins um, within the Catholic Church, that's the stuff mm-hmm. we're really interested in. So please, we'd love to hear about more organizations. Thank you. All right. All right, Steph. And? Mm-hmm. Also with you. And also with you.